0: All right, so last week we started a conversation in a series that we're calling Imago Dei, and so that means the image of God, and we started this conversation because we thought it would be a good place for us to kick off 2021 to have a six-week conversation about what it means to be created in the image of God, what it means for us to see others as created in the image of God, what it means to look at our world as a world that was created for God, and then we are in that world, and representing Him. So we asked this question. This was the first question we asked last week. What does it mean to be an image bearer? I had a funny thing happen to me this week. I have a good friend named Andy. Hi, Andy, if you're listening. Um, he listens to my sermons. He's a youth pastor friend of mine. I went to college with him, one of my really my, my best friends. And so he listens. And one of the things, he, test, he texted me this week, and he said, what's an image bearer? And he makes fun of the way I talk, because he's from New Jersey, and so he doesn't know how to say things correctly. And so he texted me and just said, what's an image bearer? And he thought every time I said image bearer, I was saying he knew what I was, He just messing with me. But I have to be a little more clear, apparently. So when I say image bearer, that's the question we were asking. So we went back to the creation account, and we looked at how God created all the world around us, and then he said, but we're missing one thing. And so on the sixth day He said, I'm going to create man in my image. And so he does. He creates Adam and Eve. And so when that happened, we have to ask the question, okay, then we as humans, what are our responsibilities? What does that actually mean? And so we said that we are God's physical representations on this earth. And this can be a difficult concept for us, maybe, because when we think about images if you have an image of someone or, or, or of you, it's probably a picture, or it could be, if you're really special, right, a painting or a sculpture or a statue, right? We love those things. Maybe you've taken pictures, you have them of your family, you hang them on your wall. Maybe it's on your phone lock screen so that you can, when you open your phone, it just brings you joy. It's something you can engage with. But you don't have a, a lot of expectations for that picture, right? Other than it's going to exist here, it's going to bring me joy, it's kind of fun. But what we realize is that God actually does have big expectations for us as image bearers. It's something that we have to engage with. It's something that he finds, he says, we are valuable. It's something where we have responsibilities and also when it comes to the world around us. And so we have to engage with this topic. And the place that we landed and the place that I want us to be reminded of over the course of this conversation are three truths. The first truth is that your value is not defined by you, your value is defined by your creator. And so when you have a bad day, when you do something you shouldn't, when you should do something and you don't, wherever you're from, whatever you do, whatever your economic status is, all of those things, they don't define your value. What defines your value is your creator. The second thing was this, right? My value is not defined by me, but my value is defined by my creator. So that means that you can't look at me I think that I'm less valuable than you. Or we can't look at one person and say that that person's less valuable than another person. That person's value, my value, your value is all defined by God. And so the last point that we landed on last week was that when we devalue ourselves and others, we devalue the creator. Because we would say that, well, if one person's not as good as another, then the creator made a mistake. But we know that the creator didn't make a mistake. He made us on purpose. He made us for a purpose. And so what does that Mean. And today we're going to walk through uh, the restoration process that needed to happen for us. The problem that occurred, and then how God stepped in, how Jesus stepped in, and what the process of restoration looks like for us when things kind of fell apart at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. We we stopped in Genesis chapter 3 briefly last week, and, and what we realized was that one day there was perfection. There was perfection everywhere, that that God had created the world around us, he had created the trees and the animals and everything, and it was all perfect, and he even created man, and it was all perfect. But then one day, the perfect became imperfect. And so what happened? We, We looked at Genesis 3, and we looked at how Eve and Adam both sinned, and how the consequences of that were weighty. In fact, what we saw was that there were consequences. Well, we didn't see it, but if we kept reading the the chapter, we would have seen that there were consequences for Adam, there were consequences for Eve, and there were consequences for the serpent. And this problem of sin was a real problem that had to be dealt with, and there were very real consequences that went with it. But even in the midst of that, there's one verse in Genesis chapter 3, that I think is super important, and it helps us kind of understand the way that God was kicking off this restoration process, even in the midst of all the pain and sorrow that came with sin that day. And so I want to read that verse just quickly. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, he's talking to the serpent, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel." Now, if you were reading this chapter and you didn't really think about or you didn't know the rest of the story from Scripture, you might just think, okay, well, then we are not going to like snakes. Does anyone not like snakes at all? Okay, a few people. We had this conversation at Christmas. That was like a half-hand raised Mike, Was that like, why not? Okay, so Mike really likes snakes, so we can go with it. So you'll be this. If there's ever a snake, I'll call Mike. Um, we had this conversation at Christmas. Do you guys remember the show Fear Factor? Have you ever watched that? Okay, so if you don't know what Fear Factor is, there were um, there was just tasks you had to do, and you would literally come on the show, and they would try and terrify you out of what you were doing. And there were sometimes they were physical stunts, sometimes they were just outright ridiculous. And one of the things that they would do to people sometimes is they would just get like a plastic box, and they would put you in the box, and then put other things in the box with you that you wouldn't want. So like sometimes it would be mice, sometimes it would be spiders. Sometimes it would be snakes. And so the conversation that came up at Christmas, For I don't know how we got here on Christmas, but it was just a conversation we were having. And we said, would you rather be stuck in the box with snakes or spiders? I would much rather snakes. I don't know about, who says spiders? Just for, really? They can like get in your nose and stuff. They just like, she said, that's fine. I'm great. I would rather snakes because I would just be like, I could, I don't know. It just makes me feel better. But either way, this verse talks about this, this enmity that's going to come between the woman's offspring and the serpent's offspring. Is it just about, the question is, is it just about, well, we don't like snakes? Not fully. Because what we know when we read the rest of the account of scripture, we see that this was actually a foreshadowing that was going to happen. And the offspring that was being talked about was Jesus. The offspring that was talking about for the serpent was Satan. And so he would have this opportunity where Jesus would receive something that was going to be a negative. He was going to die, and that was the striking of the heel. But ultimately, it says that the offspring of the woman would crush his head. And so this is a foreshadowing. This is a looking into, going into the future. God was already working on and putting together this plan of restoration that was going to come for us. And the reality of what needed to happen was that our relationship with God needed to be rebuilt on a new foundation. The, the foundation that it was originally built upon when Adam and Eve were created was the relationship they had with God. They were living in perfection with him. They could, always, they could literally walk and talk with him through the garden. That was the relationship that they had with God. And then when sin came into the picture in Genesis 3, if we were to read the whole account, we'd see that they were kicked out of the garden. They weren't allowed to come back. They weren't allowed to have the same kind of relationship. And so there had to be this fix. There had to be a new foundation that our relation with, relationship was built with him upon. And one day the restoration began. One day Jesus showed up, as we talked about during the Christmas season, and the restoration began to happen through Jesus. We're gonna to go to Colossians chapter three. This is where we're gonna spend most of our time today. So if you have your Bible, you wanna turn there, or you have your phone, you wanna turn it on. I'll we'll always have the verses up here on the screen for you. But if you wanna follow along on your phone, you can. So in Colossians chapter three, we're gonna walk through a, a good amount of verses here. Um, we're gonna stop a few times along the way and kind of smell the roses a little bit. But this is where we're gonna we're gonna be for most of our time this morning. So in Colossians chapter three, we're gonna start in verse fifteen. It says, "Christ is the invisible image." sorry, I always read that wrong, is the visible image of the invisible God. So let's pause for just a second, right? That's a loaded sentence in and of itself. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. What I want us to recognize today is that when Jesus showed up on the planet, it was the first time since creation that humans could walk and talk and have conversation, and have meals, and get to know and spend time with God since creation, since we left the garden. There's other encounters, like Moses has an encounter with God, but he has to hide from him. There's other encounters where angels show up, but it's not God. But what this verse is telling us is that when Jesus showed up, he was the fullness of God that humans could then again walk and talk and have conversation with and understand what it was like to have a relationship with him again. This was the first time that that happened since the garden. This was a huge deal, and this is where the restoration process began. Okay, let's keep going. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Let's read verse 16. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. All right, let's pause here again. So Paul goes back to the creation account and says, Jesus, even though he showed up on earth as God's representation of himself, the full representation of himself, he said, he goes back to the creation and says, Jesus was even in the creation of the world. So we know that Jesus wasn't just a piece of God that came, it was fully God that came. And back in Genesis 1, like we talked about last week, we said, when we looked at how God decided to create us, he said, I'm going to create man in our image. He said our image because each person of the Trinity had their fingerprints on us as image bearers of God. And so Jesus knew us. Jesus was a part of building the world around us. So this was a connection. It was, Paul's basically saying, we want to make sure we understand that this is the fullness of God. He was there from the beginning. This wasn't someone that was created in the moment when Jesus was born. He's been around since the beginning. So that was the fullness of God that was here. Let's keep going to 17. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. Verses 19 and 20. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God, who were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Here's where we want to land today, and understand we're going to flesh this out a little bit. But God's restoration process is the gospel. That's God's restoration process for us as image bearers after we lose our relationship with him because of sin and then have to rebuild it on the new foundation that is Jesus. And what Paul walks us through in Colossians 3 is that process. He uses some strong words. He says when we were sinners, we were enemies of God. Now, I don't I don't know if you think about that, but think about like who your enemy is if you have one. Right? Sometimes you're against somebody. So if you're on a field or on a court, you might be playing against someone else. Are they your enemy in some sense? Sure. But would you really call them your enemy? Like you're going to, after the game, you've also got like this frustration with them and hatred for them or anything like that? Like probably not. But there's a, there's a deep separation. And so Paul says we were enemies, but he says in Christ, God was ready to reconcile us to him. And so I want to walk through this a little bit and understand what the gospel does and how it restores us. The first thing is that the gospel deals with the consequences of sin. One of the things that's a danger when we are having this conversation about the image of God and we want to live understanding that we are made in the image of God and we want to live out of that positive information and we want to live out of the love that God has for us. We want that to be the central idea of what we understand from this conversation over the next few weeks. But here's the thing. We can't just focus on that. We have to recognize the issues that are also there. And so when we think about dealing with the consequences of sin, what the gospel also does is not only shares with us how much Jesus loves us, but it shows how much we need saving. Like we have to recognize the problems that were there in order for us to need to be restored or to be reconciled. And so how do we do this? Well, let me give you two examples of how this kind of happens like in everyday life. I'm, I'm assuming that those of us who are adults in the room, probably if you're planning on leaving the house at some point during the day or you plan on having people over at some point during the day, you probably don't simply just roll out of bed and like you're ready to go. Right? There's a process that you probably go through in the morning. Now, maybe when you were a teenager, we could get away with that, right? But there's probably a process. And one of the things you do is you look in the mirror probably, right? You've got to notice like what happened to my hair overnight or is there drool on my face? Or maybe you caught like a whiff of your breath and you're like, okay, I got to brush my teeth. Like there's things that you have to recognize. And we, we kind of wake up in the morning and see what damage sleeping did to the way that we looked yesterday and to how we look now right? That mirror reflects what needs to be restored. We have to take what we thought we looked like, or what we hope we look like, and say, okay, what issues need to be addressed so that I can look the way that I'm supposed to? The gospel does the same thing. It reflects to us how we should look, or how God has asked us to look, or how God is calling us to look, And it makes us realize the areas where we need to change. Another way that this might work out is if you went to the doctor's office. Maybe you went because you weren't feeling well. Or you went because you were feeling well, but you just needed a well visit. And they do some tests and they figure out some things and they kind of see what are they trying to figure out? Are there problems that need to be addressed? And so through those tests, whether it's just listening to your heart or doing blood work or whatever, they're going to show problems that might need to be there that might be there that need to be addressed so that you can return to how you felt. And if you are are sick, you're saying, okay, these symptoms are something that's making me realize I used to feel good. Now I don't. I got to fix that so I can feel good again. There's a restoration process of where we were, where we are currently, and how we need to get to where we need to be. This is all what the gospel does. It looks at us as image bearers and says, You were supposed to have this relationship with God, but sin is now the problem. Sin is the drool that's hanging out of your mouth after you wake up, okay? We've got to fix that. And so when you see that, you've got to move on from it and go, what's the process for me to look like what God has called me to look like? And we want to live out of that place of recognizing God loves us so much, and we want that to be our motivation. But we can't miss the fact that we don't look like God in the ways that we're supposed to. And some of that is because we've decided to sin against him. So it calls us to this understanding of we have to see the consequences of sin and see the areas that we need to fix. The second thing that the gospel does is it brings forgiveness. And we've all been in these spaces probably where we've had to have a conversation with someone. Either they hurt you, you hurt them, they said something, you said something, and now there's like a tension in the relationship, right? And so you have to figure out what you're going to do about that. You can ignore it. You can pretend that that doesn't exist and just kind of go about your day and avoid that person or just don't call them or if you see them, go the other way or whatever. Or you can have the conversation. And once you have that conversation, once you engage with that, you can start to reconcile and forgiveness will probably be had if you both can come together and just say, I was wrong or you were wrong or "Let's," I'm sorry for this or I'm sorry for that. And you can reconcile that relationship. One of the best ways that I ever felt forgiveness in my life um, was in fifth grade. And this is the first time I'm going to be real vulnerable with you guys. Okay, so don't judge me. Okay? Are you guys going to judge me or not? Okay, good. So fifth grade, I was 10. I was not a great student. Okay? I didn't like school in elementary school, middle school, high school, even like my first year of college. I was not a great student. And so I just I didn't really care about homework. If you're a teenager, stop listening to because your, your pastor just said you, they didn't he didn't like homework. So like I didn't like homework. I didn't like studying. I didn't want to do those things. And so I avoided them pretty much at all costs. Okay. I really liked gym class. I liked Bible class, but like every other class, I was like this. I don't need anyway. So I just didn't like it. And so when I was younger, I I would do things like skip homework assignments. I would do things like not study for tests. I would do things I wasn't supposed to do. And in fifth grade. My teacher had this policy where if you missed a homework assignment or you did poorly on a test, I think like an F or a D, um, you had to take it home and you had to get it signed by your parents so they knew. And then you had to bring it back and hand it in. Okay? So I had to do this a few times over the course of the beginning of the year because I missed certain things. And then one time, I think I missed a homework assignment, I took it home, my mom signed it, I brought it back to school, my teacher forgot to ask for it. So it was in my backpack so the next time I ended up missing a homework assignment or something I realized I have my mom's signature in my backpack so I traced it no one noticed so I got away with this for a couple of times okay see I told you I'm being really vulnerable don't judge me okay so I traced it a few times I got away with it then young Corey got a little cocky okay so one day I missed another one I had traced it a couple times I was like okay this is probably gonna be all right I thought, I've traced this enough. I can freehand it. Yeah, that didn't go well. So I try it. I put it on there. I'm like, nah, it might be close enough. We'll see. So I take it in. My teacher knew immediately, right? She was not dumb. I did a terrible job as a 10-year-old. It was clear that I had simply traced, or I didn't trace. I had just freehanded it. It was her signature. It wasn't my mom's signature. It was mine. And so the teacher looks at me, and she says, is this really your mom's signature? I said, absolutely, and I walked away. She goes, okay. So I go through the rest of my day wondering if this is gonna work out. Okay? Didn't say anything, whatever. I'm at home that night, I hear the phone ring. This was the this was when you could hear phones ring, like in a house. Um, the phone rings, and I realize this is my teacher. Like I hear my dad talking on the phone, it's my teacher. Obviously, they figured it out, right? Because I was dumb and I shouldn't have done that in the first place. So the next day, I go into school. And my teacher says, Hey, can, can I talk to you in the hallway? And I'm like, sure. So we go out to the hallway and she just asks me, how did you feel yesterday? That's all she asked me. And it wasn't a finger pointing. It wasn't, it wasn't to get to a point. It was, it was just, how'd you feel yesterday? And I just said, I felt terrible. Like once I realized I was in trouble, I was like, I I felt terrible. I knew what I did was wrong. I lied to you twice. I, I'm i so sorry. And I, I think I had even tears in my eyes at that point. And she just looked at me and she said, That's all right. I know that it was wearing on you. I understand you made a bad decision. I forgive you. And she, we went about our day. And that was it. By the way, I still know this teacher really well, actually. And about five years later, I had her again for a different class uh, in 10th grade because at a small Christian school, you have the same teachers like all the time. And so we, I had her again and I just said, Do you remember this? She said, nope, don't remember it at all. She forgave me and forgot all about it. It's one of the best ways that I can explain the way that God is willing to forgive us. There were consequences. Trust me, my parents made sure there were consequences, okay? But with her, she knew because of my parents, the consequences had been done. I had suffered through that day knowing that I had lied twice, right? And then I had to come through the next day, and I had to face her. And she just said, I forgive you. The depth of our forgiveness in the gospel is unbelievable, right? That was one thing that I did, and I was torn up about it, and I got forgiven for it. there are so many things that we do that God sees, and we can't hide them. And he knows about them. And yet he's still willing to offer forgiveness to restore and reconcile the relationship that we have with him, but that only happens through Jesus. And so the restoration process that we find ourselves in, recognizing that there's a problem, recognizing the consequences of sin, and then realizing that God offers us forgiveness even when we don't deserve it. The third thing that the gospel does is this. It begins the process of restoring God's image in us. That's what the gospel is there for. If sin were to stay in our lives, so those of us who have decided to follow Jesus, we've kind of moved on from this idea. Well, I'll explain it a little bit. But if we're still, if you haven't decided to follow Jesus, the problem is scripture says we're still in sin and we're still separated from God. And so what needs to happen is when we make the decision, we're going to follow Jesus. When we start that relationship with him, we have the opportunity to begin this restoration process in our life where we then have the opportunity to look more like Jesus we read a verse from 2 Corinthians last week. I want to go back to it and read a little bit more. So we read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 last week. We're going to read 2 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17 this week, and then we'll get to 18. So 16 says this, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So let's time out for a minute. Let me just explain this again. And if you have your Bible open, you can read like the verses just before this. What Paul is saying is, when we were in sin, if we are a follower of Jesus now, there was a veil that was over us. It was kind of like the image of God, it was there, it never left, but it wasn't as clear as it should be. And that veil separated us from God. And what Paul says is, when we decide to follow Jesus, or when we turn to the Lord, as the verse says, that veil is now gone, and we have the opportunity to to look more like Jesus. So in verse 18 it says this, and we all who have decided to follow Jesus who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The phrase from this verse that I want to focus on is who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. This is this is a constant renewal of our understanding of what it means to look like Jesus. So he's what he's talking about is we're contemplating about it, we're thinking about it, we're meditating about it, we're reading about it, we're understanding, we're praying about it. What does it mean to look like him? And when we do look like him, the process continues to make us look like him. It says, our being transformed into his image with with ever-increasing glory. And so as we contemplate over and over and over again, we continue to look more like him. That's the goal. And this is the process. Now, here's the thing we have to realize, and I have to say very, very, very clearly. Our actions are not what saves us. There is no point in this process where we can like, level up so much and contemplate so much and look like God enough that we're going to reach the point where, where God just says, okay, you look like me enough, you get into heaven. That's not the way it works. This is a continual process that we are called to go through as followers of Jesus, and we do that because we recognize how much God loves us and the forgiveness he offers us, but it's never going to save us. The only thing that saves us is the blood of Jesus. And so because we understand that, we continue on this process and live our lives that way. Never trying to level up to God, but living out of the recognition of the love and the value and the sacrifice that he made for us. And the crazy thing is this. Restoration not only impacts us spiritually, but restoration impacts our minds and our bodies. So another verse I want to go to briefly is Ephesians chapter 4. It's actually two verses, or a few verses, 22, 21 to 24. It says this, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. So he says, when you make this decision to follow Jesus, you've got to throw off the old stuff. There's stuff that you used to do when you weren't a follower of Jesus that you have to get rid of. And so there's a life change that happens. And then he goes on to say in verses 23 and 24, instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on your new nature created to be Like God, truly righteous and holy. So he says, renew your thoughts and your attitudes. It's like having a filter that we run our lives through every single day, and it impacts the way that we think, the the thoughts we have, the things that where our mind goes, and what we what we're contemplating and what's going on. Right? He talked about contemplating the glory of God, and so that impacts our minds, but it also impacts our attitudes. And indirectly, what he's saying is, it changes our actions. Because we know if it's going to change our attitude, it's going to change our actions. If you have a bad attitude towards somebody, it's going to come out in the way you talk or act towards them. And so if we recognize, okay, our attitude needs to be adjusted, then that's what's going to happen. It's going to, our attitude will be influenced by who we understand God to be, and then that will then change our actions. This is a renewal, this process, this restoration that we're talking about as the image of God is something that encompasses our whole being. It impacts us spiritually, but it also has to impact the way that we think and the way that we act. So this is not, and this is, this is something I think we struggle with just in like American Christianity. We struggle with the idea of I'm saved and I just never have to do anything ever again. Now remember what I said, our actions don't save us. But what, what is Paul saying? When you decide to follow Jesus and that veil is gone, there should be an evidence that the veil is gone. And so our actions are brought to life out of the faith that we have. And the understanding of our faith changes the way that we live. And so this is a process that we engage with over and over and over again every day that we have to consistently be looking at in our lives as we filter our minds and our hearts to what God is calling us to be. And one of the things that it said is, you put on the image to look like God. Well, what did God say in Genesis chapter one when he created man? So that they look like us. So the goal is to get back to what we looked like in the first place and having that relationship with God. Now that goal, unfortunately, is not going to be fulfilled here on earth. But one day, the restoration will be complete. Well, when does that happen? When do we fully get restored as image bearers of God? Last verse to go to today, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24, says this, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So there's a day coming where either Jesus comes back or our earthly life ends. And at that moment, we step into eternity. At that moment, we figure out, okay, what's the next step in this life when the earthly life ends? And what Paul is saying is our whole spirit, our soul, and our body should be blameless. And the great thing is, he says it's not on you to make sure that you're blameless. What does he say? The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The end goal for this whole restoration, we won't realize until we get to heaven. And when we get to heaven, the perfection that we talked about in Genesis, and we mentioned earlier today, will be fulfilled. We will be back Together with God, in perfection, and having the relationship that we were called to have with him in the first place. But this restoration process is what we're in the midst of as we live here on earth. We can't accomplish it. We can't finish it. We can't do it all because we were not the ones who were called to do it all. In fact, we were the ones who brought sin into the mix. And so when Jesus shows up, he says, I'll take the blame. I'll, I'll pay for it. And then all the time, we are then restoring and working to make ourselves look a little bit more like God. And why do we do that? Because our mission is to bring others along with us. So that others would see the restoration process that we're going through, and they might have that hope as well. Not that we're going to fix things here in this world, but that ultimately we would have that relationship with God moving forward. So what does that mean? How do we figure that out here on earth? What does that look like? And the ultimate goal of restoration is sanctification. And sanctification is a big word that just means set apart. That we would be different than the world around us. That we would look different than the world around us. And we have to be the ones that make this present for other people to understand as well. We have to take the word to others so that they get it, and one of the ways that I I want us to kind of filter this is there were some weighty stuff that happened this week. There were some things that shouldn't have happened, could have not happened. It was it was weighty, and one of the things that I think we realized this week, and I I realized I didn't say anything, I didn't say much on social. I posted one verse. Um, we didn't say anything as a church because I wasn't sure exactly what would be helpful. And so, but I said, you know what, I'm just going to wait. We'll have the conversation today. I think that understanding people as made in the image of God impacts the way that we filter and understand the events of this week and the events of this year. So I'll just mention it here. And one of the things I want us to realize, especially if we're not already followers of God, who might say, well, why do I need this restoration process? Is that What we saw this week, when you turned on your television and saw the events that took place this week, I doubt there was anybody in the room who didn't just have a sinking feeling because of what they saw. No matter where you're at, no matter where you're at on whatever side of politics, whatever side of whatever, there was just a sinking feeling that happened. And why was that? Because we recognize, especially if we're followers of Jesus, when things are wrong, and when sin is present. And that sinking feeling was a recognition that what was going on was wrong. And if you had that feeling, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you recognize there's a need for restoration. Not just for our country, let's set that aside for a minute, but for people. And in our own lives, it's easy, It's easy, right, to look at somebody else and go, man, they need Jesus more than I do right but we're all made in the image of God he loves all of us and so we have to look at that and go i'm a sinner just like them that's the that's the issue every one of us needs this restoration every one of us needs that looking to God and understanding that we are flawed humans who sin against God separate us from God every day and yet he's still willing to love and care for and forgive us And so when we see stuff like that, whether it's what happened this week or it's just seeing somebody you know that's getting divorced or understanding that some kid you know was abused, all of that stuff just, it sinks in us because we as image bearers understand it's built in us the weight of sin. And when sin is present, it eats at us because we recognize, because we were created in the image of God, that there is a problem. And this restoration process if we've decided to follow Jesus, is the thing that moves us in the correct direction. So the place that we landed last week is going to be the place that we land this week. And this is the challenge I have for you and I have two specific challenges we'll talk through. But this is what we understand. We can choose to be part of the devastation or we can be part of the restoration. We can choose to cause more devastation in the world around us if we decide to live in a way that we worship ourselves or we worship other people more than we worship the creator. And that will just continue to push more sin, it will separate us further from God, and that will cause more devastation. So what will happen? That's kind of what we saw this week. Or we can be part of the restoration. We can be part of helping people understand the God that has come to save them and who has something better, and that restoration process can begin with them so that the ultimate goal of being at peace with their creator can happen when they die. So, what does that mean? What does that mean for this week? This is all really big stuff. So, you might be thinking, Pastor Corey, I don't even know where to start with this week. Here's one thing, I, two things I would say. Number one, have you looked in the mirror lately? No, I don't mean a physical mirror. I mean, have you looked at areas of your life? Have I looked at areas of my life where things need to get better? Where things I've allowed maybe the devastation or the choices that I've made to go a little too far? In one direction, and that section of my life needs to be restored a little bit more. And how do we look into the mirror spiritually to understand the areas that need addressed? We read scripture. We have conversations with the people around us that love us. We say, Are there any things in me that you're recognizing? Or I open scripture and say, Are there any things in me that need to be a little more focused in the restoration process this week? And that's completely, that's not necessarily a very big action step but it's something we have to continually do. And so take some time this week. Pray, think through that. Figure out what areas need a little bit more restoration in you. The second thing is this. Are your words, actions, thoughts, are they reflecting the restoring that's going on in you? Or are you contributing to the devastation? What does that mean? Well, we've got to think about our words that we say, Somebody, when we're in a conversation with them, whether we're in the same room, whether it's online, whether it's through a phone, whether it's through an email, whatever it is, are our words and our actions contributing to the restoration and the offering of hope to people that we know through Jesus, or are we causing more devastation? And that's a difficult one for today as well, to just think through, what are my words and actions saying? Am I reflecting to people? they have hope in Jesus? Or am I contributing to this frustration of sin and confusion and separating people from God or separating myself from God more than I need to be? This is, this is stuff that's hard to do and you're never finished. Does that frustrate anybody? (laughs) Like if you've got a task that just like keeps going and you just can never ever actually, you're not done. And and what Paul tells us is we're not going to be done until we see Jesus. Okay. Whether he comes back or we die. But that's part of the reason we keep coming here, right? So that we can look at one another and say, keep going. Keep working on this. Keep following Jesus. Keep wanting to look more like him. Keep having conversations with other people. That's the goal. And so it's hard. It's, it's a marathon more than a race. But this continued process of looking more like Jesus will cause other people to, to look more like Jesus. And ultimately, when we get to heaven, we will find rest with the creator the way that we were supposed to be. Let's pray as we finish our conversation today. Lord, we thank you for the gift of hope that you've given us, for um, the words of Paul that remind us that, first of all, we have to look in the mirror. We have to see the things that are wrong in our lives and the things that need to be restored. We thank you that you came as the restorer (laughs) as the person who could do the restoring in us. And we ask that we would be faithfully pursuing that restoration as well as it depends on us. We know that you will do the work. We know that you are the one who saves. And we can't do any of that. But we do have a responsibility to reflect that restoration to others. And we ask that you would help us to do that well. That other people around us would see the hope that we have and they would want it too. And I ask that as we interact with people, whether it's in the same room or it's on Facebook or Instagram or what have you, or whether it's emails, phone calls, whatever, that we would reflect that restoration and that we would encourage others to have that hope as well. Lord, we ask that you would help us to do this as a church, that this is a marathon and not a quick sprint. It's something that we have to continually be working on. We pray that we would encourage one another to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.